This is the Benson Gregory Podcast. Interviews with leaders, changemakers, and real-world influencers. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Your support means a lot. Now, here's your host. Hi, I'm Benson Gregory. Our guest this week is Laura Baxter. Laura is a missionary to Honduras. Laura, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. I've known you for a long time, I think, haven't I? It's been 10 years, maybe. Something to that effect. Years. We've gone to a couple of different churches together. Yeah. And uh, and then one day you just announced that you were packing up and, and leaving and going to Honduras. Yep. Yep. It seemed like a surprise to everybody else, but definitely something God had been preparing me for. Uh, we, I want to get into great detail and go into the, the hows and the whys. But tell us, what are you doing right now in Honduras? How are you building the kingdom? So the last several months, of course, as the rest of the world was in lockdown as well, um, being able to support missionaries who were taking food to people to be able to be their financial support. Um, I was not physically able to take out bags of, of beans and rice to people. Since March, a lot of people were not able to work. And because they weren't able to work, they weren't able to eat. And so, so many of those people don't have ways to refrigerate food or to keep it in a pantry or even to have the funding to be able to stock up on food. So for a lot of people, they had gone months without eating anything. And so I was able to just through sharing their story with people here in the States, people gave me money to be able to then give to those missionaries so that they could take out hundreds of food bags to people throughout the week and to be able to take care and ensure $10 would feed a family of about five for a full week. Wow. And so even getting a gift of 50 to to $100, imagine how long that would go for several families to be able to, to support that. So just being able to support the missionaries who were on the ground, actually with the people in their communities to be able to, to hand out food to them. Is that your primary ministry while you're in Honduras is to support missionaries supporting people? Yes, yes. So my original goal going down was wanting to work with women coming out of prostitution. But as I connected with different ministries, I would see that I would work with a ministry for a couple months and then God would connect me with somebody else. And so I would work with them and maybe help one ministry start a sewing ministry with women Mm -hmm. in a local village and then go to another ministry and help them open, actually find a mission house that they had been looking for and help them get that set up and not as much help with fundraising with that, but just to say, hey, here's this house, we should go look at it. It would be great for the ministry. And so seeing how God has provided those opportunities because missionaries need that support as well. That somebody that can, other than somebody in another country supporting them, somebody actually on the ground that mm-hmm. that can work with them and support. And that's actually how I started my ministry was because God has given me those resources then to be able to work with other ministries to help them in those resources as well. And to be somebody who understands this situation to kind of be that go-between. Okay, so su- providing support and logistics, but it sounds like you started off almost as a refuge for women in Honduras. Right, right. Was, so so that, was that your, your plan when you left here, was to go and do that? Right, that was my plan. And often talking to missionaries who live there <laughs> five, ten years, ask them what their current ministry is, it's completely different than what their original ministry was right. coming down. Um, so that was my original plan, was to go down and and start a house similar to that and and to work with the girls there 
But the more that I got to know the country and meet the missionaries who were working there and see that need, there's actually a larger ministry that kind of covers all of the missionaries. And so just being able to connect with them and then to say, hey, there's this missionary over here and this is what they're doing. We know you know a lot of people, you connect well with people, talk to them and see how you can kind of kind of work with them. So definitely not at all what I thought I was going to be doing. Mm-hmm. But still knowing that that is exactly the path that God is leading me on down there. I remember hearing that when you made the announcement that you were going, uh, I, I was absolutely shocked. I was just floored that you were packing up and going to Honduras. Uh, we talked to, uh, or I talked to our pastor, David Kibler, and uh, he seemed equally as surprised because it was just kind of an out of the blue, you know, Laura's going to go be a missionary. And you weren't going as a part of an organization. You were going independently. Right. Uh, it was a thing that you felt a strong call in your life, clearly, to go and, and start this ministry in a completely foreign country, uh, one that is not super friendly, um, one that is dangerous. We'll just say it. It's a dangerous country in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. Uh, was it last year, year before, we were seeing these massive riots, like mm-hmm. almost Civil War type yeah. coups going on. Yeah. Uh, the military was out in full force on the streets. I remember seeing videos of night with explosions and mm-hmm. smoke and police and military blockades and giant armored personnel carriers and stuff on the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was terrifying looking. It was absolutely <laughs> terrifying. And, and there's, there's Laura down there uh you know by yourself in 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 my mind you know held up in in the middle of this war zone what in the world now by by that <laughs> point you'd been there for a little while and, right. and and we knew you had it figured out right but let's skip back let's let's roll back into how how you got to because it's still it's, I, I don't know that I'm conveying you were you were in your 30s right single right. Mm-hmm. um white woman Right. Packing up by yourself with no support to speak of, really. Uh, no organizational infrastructure behind you. No big parent company sending you. Nobody paving the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just decided you're going to pack up and you're going to move to Honduras. Right. Because God told you to. Right. I mean, it wasn't yeah. a you decided. It sure. was. I mean, you know, Noah didn't decide <laughs> to build the ark. He was, you know, you you answered a call. Right. So take us through that. Explain that process. So tell us what happened in your life that got you to the point to where you were so open to God's leading. So, and it's funny because for a lot of people that have known me in the short term, that did seem just super crazy and just kind of out of the blue. But for people who have known me for a long time, they know that growing up. I watched my mom's dad take mission trips and he went to Haiti and Honduras and Mexico and Guatemala. And so just growing up, even in a Southern Baptist church, missions was heavily focused. And so it was always something that was in the forefront of my life of missions and ministry. But even Honduras was one of those countries that really just stood out out of all of them. But in high school, my senior year of high school, we did a retreat, weekend retreat. Um, lots of different youth groups and the theme was missions and so somebody had asked me that weekend they said well hey have you ever thought about being a missionary well in my 18 year old mind I hadn't traveled the world and so my thought were were people living in the grass huts with the mud Mm -hmm. floors and I Mm -hmm. thought no there's no way no I've never thought about that but God has a sense of humor we know and you know of course you say I never have thought about that and God's going that's exactly what I'm thinking for your life. And so I knew after that weekend 
that he was calling me to do something with missions. Did you never tell God that missions were off limits? Oh, I did. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. like every Christian I know, myself mm-hmm. included, I remember saying, you know, to God, I will do anything you want, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be a missionary. Yeah. Because I wanted, you know, the house and the wife and the right. kids and, and right. all that stuff. And I didn't want to live in a hut mm-hmm. with a, a dirt mud floor because <laughs> yeah. that's what we all think. Sure. Sure. And yeah. I have several missionary friends who regularly post pictures of snakes that mm-hmm. are in their house. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want that. that. That is not what I'm looking for in life. So so you had, <laughs> right. you had done that, too. You had told oh, God, yeah. no, you're not oh, doing yeah. that missionary thing. Yeah, because I thought that's not just just not something for me. Um, I'm kind of a girly girl. So to think of that as my life, I'm thinking that that's not something I want to do. But at the same time, you know, you don't you don't want to tell God no in that aspect of I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Um because I also heard those stories of what happened like with Jonah when he said, no, I'm going to go the opposite direction, you know. Um, you are going to do what I right, say. Right, <laughs> right. We can do this one of two ways. Yes, yes. My way or my way. Yeah, the, yes. <laughs> there's the hard way, there's the easy way, but you're going to do it. <laughs> right, right. So, but once I got to college, there were some opportunities to do, like with the little college teams, to do the camps in Cedarmore and to do like the, the separate ministry teams. And so I tried out for one of those. Um, just thought on a whim, I'll just apply for overseas missions, you know, just see what happens. And so of my three choices, my third choice was where God sent me for that summer. It was in Malaysia. And once I spent that summer there, that's when I really felt like, this is really something that I could actually do if God called me to do that. Um, and he does want that willingness, you know, to say, okay, now you submitted to that will. Mm-hmm. But then I was 23 at the time. Um, and so it took 20 years going through that process of working with different ministries and working with teenagers and working with women who had been abused and in different situations, then to finally get me to that point of, okay, I'm finally going to get to take my trip to Honduras and go with this group and of course before the plane even landed I'm going okay this is this is where I'm supposed to be like I started I cry often a lot my friends make fun of me but that's okay um but I started tearing up as the plane is landing and the couple beside me is just kind of looking at me like she's probably just super scared of the landing because it's not one of the safest airports Mm -hmm. to fly into because it's surrounded by mountains um, and my Spanish wasn't that good at the time to explain to them, like, I'm not scared. I just, this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so within that, that week after I got home, I just, I was so antsy to go, to go, to go. And I had been praying. I said, okay, God, if this is exactly where I'm supposed to be, I want to hear the words you need to go. And I want to hear it come from this specific person. And so at the end of that week, that person called me and we were talking on the phone and they said, well, you know, if, if that's how you're feeling, then you just need to go. And so that was kind of <laughs> that, that final confirmation. So you laid your fleece out. Right. Right. Yeah. And God, God answered very specifically in that, that answer. So once, and I didn't tell that person that until mm-hmm. a couple years ago, that they were kind of that deciding, not deciding factor, but that. God used that them. Very, yeah. God used them to speak to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, but one of the biggest factors in that, before I went overseas in college, my mom's mom passed away about a month before I went. But she told me, and she's this, you know, little teeny tiny country grandma, you know, so when she prays, 
you know, she's really praying about something. Mm-hmm. God's really going to hear. Her. Um, but she told me then that she had always prayed for one of her kids to be a missionary. But she said, I guess that just wasn't in God's timing. Now, she had no idea beyond that trip to Malaysia what God was going to do with that. Mm-hmm. So to know even even before I was even thought of, that was something she had been praying for. So even long before that, for God to tie all of those little pieces together. So, yeah, for some, we're thinking, where did this even come from? This is just kind of out of the blue. But for people that have known me my whole life are going, what's about time that that Uh God finally put all the pieces (laughs) together and now she's finally going and now, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's cool to look back and see, you know, in the moment you don't always see what God's doing. Mm -hmm. But once you kind of look back and you're going, oh, okay, I see that that is really cool how you did that and, and pieced all that together and put people in place in specific seasons to yep. to accomplish and we were that. talking about that before we went uh, to record was uh, y- even with your your high school spanish mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've had a lot of spanish yeah yeah i have i took two years in middle school and then all four years in high school but then i didn't use it again in those 18 years when i moved to honduras but that at least gave me a little bit of a base that's a different mm-hmm. spanish from what you would learn in school compared to what, you know, different dialects for different right. states, right. different countries. Um, but that gave me a good base once I got there that I could kick it around well enough. And people were, everybody I've encountered has been super friendly and willing to help and say, okay, this is how you probably learned it, but this is how we say it here. Mm-hmm. And so people that have been very gracious and and very helpful and, and helping me learn that. But I felt like that... That was also part of that preparation, like we were talking, that, that God even put that language in there, knowing that I would need it uh-huh. 25 plus years after that. That's, the, the whole thing still is just amazing to me. So you, when, when was it, what were you doing here when you decided it's time to go? I was actually, well, I was working at a pediatric therapist's office full time. But then I was going out to the refuge for women on Monday nights and doing crafts with the ladies. And so that was actually, and that was actually another little God piece. When I told the director about that, that I felt like God was calling me to Honduras, it was a couple days before he wrote back and he said, you're not going to believe this. But he said, my mom, when I told her, reminded me of an exchange student we had that lived with us. 25, 30 years ago, she lives in the capital city where you're going to visit. She would be more than happy to let you stay with her as you look for houses. He said, just another, just another little piece of that puzzle. So I actually knew a couple more people going in to the country, just seemingly random, but. Isn't it wild how God just does stuff? Yeah. It just, and that's Ked Frank you're talking about, right? We had him on the program just recently. Um, Who's another interesting character running Refuge Women, a guy who's rescuing women basically from mm-hmm. from the sex industry which is weird in itself and yeah. he and I talked about that a little bit uh so w- why why were you helping out at refuge for women was it just you know somebody had mentioned it to you or w- did God do something else to put you on that path he he kind of did um with a previous church they came just at different times to speak to the women's ministry and just to share about it and I think some of the ladies even sponsored some of the girls living in the house, but they had also asked, you know, about having volunteers come out and just spend time with the girls or maybe even to be able to take some of them could go out on 
excursions out for coffee or whatever. Um, but every time, again, every time they mentioned the ministry, I would just get that lump in my throat and just get, you know, kind of teary eyed. I'm going, okay, this is obviously something you're wanting me to do. Mm-hmm. And so I finally messaged Ked and, um, or maybe it may have been one of the other directors, but to set up something, I said, I don't have any idea, you know, what, what I can do. I said, I like to do crafts and do that kind of stuff. And they said, oh, the girls will love that. That'll be fun. So that was kind of how I got into that. Um, obviously, there was some hesitancy because I was a very sheltered little Southern Baptist girl. And just, <laughs> you know, I was kind of naive about some things. And so, yeah, that first night, I'm going, okay, Jesus, this is going to have to be all you. Because what do I say to somebody who's lived on the streets and, you know, been in prisons and been in the kind of life that they have, mm-hmm. you know, how do you start that conversation? Of course, as he always does, as soon as they open the door, oh, we're so glad you're here. You know, we've been waiting for you and excited to do crafts. And so obviously God took care of that. But, but yeah. And now their craft situation has grown into a full enterprise. It has. It has. It's really cool to see. Yeah. It, isn't yeah. that neat? If, if you're looking for Christmas gifts, uh, Survivor Made. Yes. Is the name of that. Yes. Um, but that is so neat looking as you're in the situation and you're going through, hey, you're taking some Spanish. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're volunteering to help out at Refuge for Women. Right. You're not realizing that these things are connected and that God has this plan and he's got this ribbon that's running through your life yeah. that's going to lead you. To, and of course, you're so far from done, but oh, yeah. to lead oh, you yeah. to where you are now, right. it's just fascinating to look back on it. At the time, you don't see it. And I think it's important for people to realize, mm-hmm. people who are depressed and they just don't see what God's plan is. And, is, you know, I wish God would move. Yeah. Maybe he is. Yeah. Maybe maybe you're in preparation for something and you just don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something in, in being in a situation and not, you know, God doesn't give us the whole picture. Because for a lot of us, that would just be too overwhelming or even to see, okay, there's the whole picture. So mm-hmm. now I need to make sure that I make steps to get over here when God's already prepared yeah, As a middle schooler, steps. if God had said, you're going to go be a, a missionary in Honduras <laughs> for me, and you're going to do all this logistic stuff to support other missionaries right. by yourself with, right. with no organizational support. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, well, but I want the <laughs> husband and the kids and the, you know, the exactly. house and yep. yeah. Yeah. And he's going, that's, that's not what I have for yeah. you just yet. Exactly. Yeah. You would run in the other direction. Right. But, but if God's like, here, take some Spanish. You're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I'll take some Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> it's still just a fascinating story. Okay. So you're, you're helping out with Refuge for Women one night a week. Mm-hmm. You're working in pediatrics. Things are going well. Yeah. You're liking America. America's a good place, right? Right. You're fond right. of it here. You like fast food and fried chicken <laughs> and stuff like that. And you have great parents. Your mom and dad are awesome human I beings. Do. They are. Um, they are. So, so things are going super well. Mm-hmm. Why flee the country? <laughs> <laughs> flee kind of sounds like I'm in trouble and I have to leave the country. I mean, <laughs> I mean why, why pack up and leave? Why go to Honduras? Basically, because God said go. And I knew... Even a couple years before that, going to a job, I liked the people that I worked with. I liked the job. It was actually some college friends that, that I was working for. But I always kind of felt that antsiness of this, there's just something else. Like, I'm kind of missing something. Or not that, oh, I hate to go to work. I hate my job. I don't, you know, like being confined or whatever. But I always just felt that antsiness of there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. <clears throat> Maybe Lexington isn't where I'm supposed to be. 
And so being able then to take that trip and to feel like God said, okay, now it's time to go. It was kind of like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so just feeling that fill, that, that antsiness of, or longing really of something else that I'm supposed to be doing. And so God said, go. And I said, okay, I'm ready. How'd you know Honduras? I think probably having the, the family connection to it and having, you know, cause my papa took trips to a couple other countries, but it was just always one that just, and I don't know that it was necessarily the Latino culture, but it was just the country that always just stuck out the most when he would show me pictures and I would hear stories about that. And, and then even seemingly random times throughout my life that somebody would take a mission trip and, oh, where would they go? Well, they went to Honduras or my neighbor's hygienist cousin went on a mission trip to Honduras. So it was always just popping up in little places. And sometimes it would be a couple of years and I wouldn't hear anything about it. And then two or three months and a couple of people would have gone on different mission trips to it. So it was just one that just kind of was always in the background mm-hmm. and just always popping up in, to me, seemingly random places. But clearly yeah. something that God was working on. Yeah, on for, sure. for sure. <clears throat> one of the, the churches that we went to, to together, if I'm saying that right, mm-hmm. Southern Acres. Right. It's actually where I met you. Um, you, yeah. you were running uh, the, the slides the for slides, the songs yeah. and yeah. The, I was running camera. Mm-hmm. They, I guess they thought it was funny to put the radio guy on a camera for church. Well, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the scenes kind of, but not really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so that, that's, we would hang, we were literally beside each other in the tech booth on Sunday yeah. morning. So yeah. we did that, I don't know, for a couple of years. Um, and then there was another guy there at the church with a lot of other people there, but there was another sure. guy who's interesting to this story there. And, and that was uh, Rob Esposito. Mm-hmm. And Rob also, uh, when we we all left, or we left Southern Acres at different times, and ended up mm-hmm. at Catalyst Christian Church, right, in right. Nicholasville, uh, which was a church plant of Southern Acres. Mm-hmm. And Rob uh, ends up over there as well. Then Rob ends up going to Honduras, right, uh, to become a full time missionary. Mm-hmm. Rob's somebody I've got to get on the program too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're going. To Honduras really didn't have anything to do with Rob going, right? Or did it? And, and are you guys even close to each other in the country? We so we are about ten minutes apart in the capital city. Okay. So we are we do live close, but just ministry takes us different directions sometimes, so we don't get to interact a whole lot. Um, he works primarily with kids with cancer, right? Right. Right. He he does like camps and mm-hmm. things like that for mm-hmm. children who are terminal. Right, right. And they are working on a, a church build down in the south of the mm-hmm. country as well. So ministry takes him south and takes me different places in the country. Um, so at missionary retreats, you know, it's kind of when we catch up or if we're both here at the same time. Um, but having that connection to the country, the first team that I went with went with the ministry that he was connected to at the time. And so that's how I was able like because I had that connection, I actually talked to John Kelly, um, who's the minister at our our church at Catalyst, and he said, "Hey, there's a team going with this organization that has sent Rob, and they're going to work with him for a week. It might be a good idea because he knew I was thinking about going to Honduras and thinking about that possibly being mm-hmm. a long-term thing." And so that's kind of how that connection came about. Was so even though he said an organization sent. Rob, mm-hmm. and, right. and even though the church was supporting Rob, mm-hmm. you didn't think you needed any of that? 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got this. I'll handle it on my own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, I'm just, I'm so, I, I want to draw emphasis to that because I'm just still wildly impressed with your obedience. Mm. Well, and, and, and it's something because Hondurans are so familial, that's something that kind of blows their mind that, you know, they talk to you, well, how old are you? And I say, well, I'm 43. And they'll say, you, do, you don't have a husband? No, I don't have a husband. <laughs> do you at least have kids? No, I don't have kids. They said, do you have any family here? I said, no. And so that even for them kind of gets their wheels turning and they're not necessarily inspiring their faith in that way. But, you know, just, I mean, I guess in a little bit that it is kind well, of it, From a worldly perspective, I mean, just to put a fine point on it, you sacrificed mm-hmm. to build the kingdom. Right. You, you, you died to self. You, you yeah. gave up your own personal ambition you took up your cross Mm -hmm. and i I don't know many people who've done that yeah yeah and it's something interesting even in the sermon a couple weeks ago when the other rob was talking about the comfortable god chair and the uncomfortable self chair and as he's talking about it and we did did the live stream that i commented that so many people think that that self chair is so comfortable and that you know, this is a good seat and this is where, you know, I'm okay sitting in this seat. But they they feel like it is that sacrifice to go, even though the God chair clearly looks more comfortable, that it is that sacrifice sometimes to go to the God chair, but they don't, like there was such a peace for me when I finally had that confirmation of God saying, you just need to go, of knowing, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. And knowing that you know, when I'm here, I enjoy time with people here. I don't enjoy the weather um, currently, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but enjoying, you know, time with people here. But I'm still then still have that an- anxiousness of, okay, I've been here long enough. Like, it's time to go back home. It's time to get back to work and get back busy helping other people and, and doing what God has called me there to do. So even, but even having that peace of knowing, okay, this is where I'm supposed to go. But most people from that human perspective, don't understand that there really is that piece of, you know, and yeah, there are sacrifices that I miss birthday parties or mm-hmm. weddings or funerals or, you know, even just those like going out to eat on a Sunday afternoon. But God has has still fulfilled that aspect of community for me. So I'm not lacking for community, but yet, you know, there is still that part that, yeah, like I have to sacrifice one part of my life but that's where the scripture says, you know, giving up something, God's going to fulfill it mm-hmm. above and beyond what you could ask or imagine. And so even giving up, knowing I'm a people person, giving up that community here, he's still going to fulfill that. Or, you know, whatever I would have sacrificed leaving here, he's going to give it back to me over and above. Plus, Internet has helped you a great deal as well with right. uh, with with COVID and everything. Uh, one of the things that we did as a church at Catalyst was we, we took services online. Right. Uh, obviously, we did that thinking, you know, the thought process was, okay, this is for us. This is for our local church body. Mm-hmm. Um, not really thinking so much the global impact it was going to have. But, oh, yeah. but uh, you know, our orphanages in India, plural orphanages mm-hmm. in India, have been able to watch and take part in the service. As have you. Right. So on Sunday morning, you're able to worship with your family, your church family in Nicholasville. Yes. Even though yes. you're sitting on your couch comfy in Honduras. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, that has been a huge blessing to be able to log in. Now, time difference makes it a little bit earlier in the morning, but 
that's what nap times are for on Sundays. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but but to have that, you know, that I can log in and and still be able to hear the message and to sing along with the the worship and and still feel connected in a way to people here and to the church and to kind of know what's still going on because you leave for mm-hmm. I mean this trip it was ten months that I hadn't been back here and so you miss a lot if you're not there you know and people talk about oh like he talked about a couple sundays ago and you're just kind of sitting around and i don't i wasn't there sounds like a great sermon i'm sorry i missed that right yeah yeah so that's been a huge blessing i know there are people in i think there's a girl in hong kong even Mm -hmm. that's able to log in and so yeah being able to to so being able to see those sermons and then of course you're active on facebook and, right. and can keep up with that. And then I'm sure you FaceTime with your parents, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll do FaceTime or even, of course, Zoom is kind of taken off. And so we'll we'll do Zoom calls or I'll get to, to Zoom with my best friend and her kids and actually get to see them face-to-face. And yep. so that's been, when when the internet cooperates and when it, it flows well and everything's working, you know, then we can... Yeah, I tried to have you on earlier, uh, but we had to wait till you were home. We had to wait till you came back because internet just wasn't great. Right, right. Um, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Laura Baxter. She's a uh, a single woman missionary to Honduras. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> and uh, I say that not to be sexist or anything, but because it matters. It's it's important to the story, I think. Um, I know your parents. I went back before the world stopped turning. I used to sit right in front of your parents or right mm-hmm. near your parents and enjoyed chatting with them every Sunday morning at church. Yeah. Uh, always asked about you and how things were going and uh, and what was happening. How did they respond? Uh, you all are a tight knit little bunch. We we Be- are. I, yeah. I, at least I mean I've I've always picked up on the fact that you're very close to your parents and 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 mm-hmm. I know that they their heart is in Honduras when you're gone. Sure. So uh, so what was their reaction when you're like, hey, mom and dad, I don't have any support. I don't have a job. I don't really have much of a plan, but I'm packing up and I'm moving to Honduras. Yep. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big question. Um, you know, somebody asked her, asked mom when I went, was planning to go overseas for the summer, just for two months as a college student. They said, well, what are you going to do if she comes back and says, hey, mom, I think God's calling me to the mission field. And she said, you know, I would cry about it and I would help her pack. But they both have said, you know, the last thing we want is to keep her out of the center of God's will. And she said, if that's, of course they miss me. And they would love, you know, selfishly would rather have me still here. But also knowing that they don't want to interfere if that's what God's will is for me. And so also sacrificing for them and surrendering what their will would be for me to send me and to support me overseas. So they they didn't really have any question that like you didn't, that this was God's Mm. calling. Right, right. Now they did as far as knowing, because Malaysia was a dangerous country, and then Honduras was a dangerous country. And so mom kind of joked, she said, you couldn't have picked like France or (laughs) Spain or someplace. Well, France is dangerous. Well, but someplace that doesn't quite have that reputation that... Canada, what's wrong with Canada? (laughs) I mean, we know what's wrong with Canada, but I mean... That's a whole different conversation. (laughs) It is, but... (laughs) (laughs) I love my Canadian friends, though. I have lots of friends in Canada. <laughs> they, they need missionaries. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, you had to go to Honduras. Yeah. Yeah. What What was it like? Was it scary when you first showed up in Honduras? Because you're you're in a big city, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Where do you live? T- tell me. Tell me how. What I you said an apartment, right? I'm an apartment now. Uh huh. So you um, live in an apartment building in in Honduras. What describe yes. it to me? Paint me a a word picture for people who have no clue what Honduras is like. So Honduras is the same, almost identical in shape to Kentucky. 
and has roughly the same amount of square miles, where Kentucky has 4.5 million people, give or take, Honduras has 9 million people. And so it's covered with mountains. And so often to build more houses, they just literally stack the houses on top of each other going up the mountain. And so it's just, especially in the capital city um, of Tegucigalpa, they have one point, about 1.5 million people. And so that's just a condensed population. So you imagine, I always kind of laugh a little bit when people talk about Black Friday traffic on Nicholson Road. So that's just a normal 12, like noon noon traffic day for us um just that's just the way traffic is because there's so many people in that city you put cars and buses and taxis and there's not a lot of extra space to move mm-hmm. um they make it work do you there's drive kind of you, i do drive so you drive, drive right you have a yeah. car you drive yeah so i kind of have to put my my southern niceness and hospitality aside <laughs> when i drive there because you just kind of have to jump in and just you just kind of have to go. You channel your New Yorker and you just head out right, there, huh? Right, Jump yeah. in the fray. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I've lived in several different places throughout the city, but where I am currently now is kind of an apartment complex. It's a 12-story building where I live. I'm on the ninth floor. Um, I'm on the back side of the building. I chose that side because there's a just a beautiful view of the mountains. And so I get a nice sunrise view every morning. And um, the sun comes up about about 5 30 in this time of year so hmm. i'm not i'm not a morning person so i don't get up at 5 30 but there are some <laughs> mornings that if i'm awake i'll get up and and watch the sunrise but but i feel secure in that apartment complex i've got some friends there are seven buildings so i've got some friends from church that live in one of the buildings and then some other friends from bible study that live in the same building and so i've got people that are close and and able to have that community when we were in lockdown the first two weeks nobody was allowed to leave their houses even and so so you weren't allowed to leave your apartment building or right. your apartment right 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 so at least being then when things kind of started loosening up a little bit did they give you advanced warning enough to where you could have supplies and things or did you just not have really. to no hunker down with what you had yeah yeah basically just kind of had to okay we're just going to go with it for these two weeks um and so, but then after that, once they gave us days that we could circulate, then, you know, I could go down and, and visit with the friends that are in the apartment building or go across the, the little complex to visit with people there. So, but having that, you know, as a single white female, I'm almost six foot tall, very pale skin. So it's you not stand like out a little bit. I kind of stand out. Yeah. Like no matter what I do, I mean, I can kind of try and dress like them or, you know, but I'm still going to stand out. And so just feeling more security in that of where I live and, um, but still being okay to get out. Like I go out at night and, and we'll have supper with friends or we'll go out to movies or when we could do those kind of things, um, to go out to movies or, you know, to run out to the store or something. So I do feel secure to be able to drive around the city and, mm-hmm. um, even after dark, cause it gets dark about six, six thirty. So, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah. Now you lived at least for a while. You were in a was it a gated community or mm-hmm. a gated off area? There was a judge I want to recall or somebody who was in government who had like armed security, and there, you yeah. kind of benefited from that a little bit. Yeah, in that one, you don't live there the, anymore. You moved I don't from live that there one? anymore. Yeah, it was actually the head of the Department of Security 
that lived in that oh, okay. in that complex. So we knew those of us that lived in the the neighborhood knew where his house was because we would see the guards coming out or sometimes or see the car every once in a while we would see him come out too but mm-hmm. but yeah having that and some of the guards felt a little protective of you as well right mm-hmm. yeah yeah they tend to and depending on the neighborhood but they like the white girls coming in and so they're they're a little bit more watchful a little bit more protective and in some of the places other places i've kind of had issues but um but for the most part, yeah, I feel like that I try not to take advantage of that too much as, you know, well, I'm the North American, so you should take care of me. You right, know? right. But appreciating that that I have that. I'm at a disadvantage here. Thank you so much for helping me. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Stranger in a strange land kind of a deal. Yeah. Um, you, you said a lot of the people are uh, appreciative of the fact that you did leave some privilege, mm-hmm. that you did leave you know, America. Yeah. And an easier life for sure. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know. They don't know how, how you right. know, awesome your parents were or how a great job you had or what a fantastic right. church you were going to. Right, right. Um, yeah. They didn't know any of that, but assume. And yeah. then you, you gave that up to move to, mm-hmm. to help them. Um, is that opening doors when people see you and they're like, what are you doing here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially, especially when I first got here you know people were just curious of like I was at Walmart returning something and had time to talk to the lady at the returns counter and so she was asking she said so just curious you know because most people there are just super friendly and open and wanting to talk to you and she said so again ask the question are you here by yourself did you come with family you know and I said I'm by myself and so that but then that opened the door for me to share why in the world I would come from, you know, because again, they get what media portrays of North America, just like people here get what media portrays of Honduras. Mm -hmm. And so seeing, you know, what would be very affluent in their eyes of me giving that up to come to live in a third world country that's still developing, you know, and so that, that opened and and they're very open to hear about Jesus as well. So it's not something that, okay, what should I tell her? Should I just be, you know, you can just share. This is what I felt like Jesus was preparing me for my whole life. And I want to come. And because God has blessed me with resources, I want to be able to help. Not to be like the white savior coming in. I have right. all these resources <laughs> and all the money and all I'm going to help you. Yes. Right. But, but to be able to, wherever I can to be able to use those resources how I can. And so that has has opened up a lot of doors to be able to share why in the world I would come down from such an affluent culture to the culture that they live in. Do Does that open doors, you think, that you're not there with a bigger organization, that you're not there with a well-known uh, a, a missionary that's a, a, a group that's established? Mm-hmm. So you, you don't say, I'm with them, right? I'm here. Right. with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes some of the people have been burned by, unfortunately, because we're all human, mm-hmm. unfortunately have been burned by bigger organizations. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes having somebody who isn't necessarily, I mean, I have my own nonprofit status, but I don't have a lot of people underneath me. And right. so it's just me. So some for some of those people, because they have been burned by these big organizations that bring in the big teams, having somebody just that smaller connection can definitely open more doors and, and, and open up a way for more of community and more relationship 
with those people instead of just, well, we know the ministry and, you know, and some ministries are really good at forming that relationship with people in their community and they know them and they eat with them and celebrate with them. And, um, but, but for some people who have been burned by that, that does make it, make it a little bit easier to have that, that smaller communication. I know of some other organizations that will like literally build cities mm-hmm. and put walls and gates and that's yeah. where the missionaries live and that's where the, the work of the mission is done mm-hmm. and the city gates close at night and in the morning they open up and you can come in and hear about Jesus, but you know, at sunset, it's time for you to go, yeah. you know, we're, we're on our own for the night. Thank you. In right. our safe walled up city. Yeah. You don't do that. You're right there in the mix of it. Mm-hmm. Um, surely there have been some experiences, especially with, uh, the riots and the, the, it was a coup basically. It was pretty close. Yeah. It was the elections three years ago. That Ours has gone smoother so far. So far. <laughs> so far. <laughs> <laughs> so it continues to go smoothly. Yes, yes for uh, sure. But yeah, that was with the elections and there was literally riots and everything. I mean, did you, did you fear for your safety at that point or were you in a, a fairly safe location or? I mean, at first, because I didn't really understand the situation, because I'd only been there two years um, going on three, but not really knowing what was going on then, but because we have such a great missionary community there or even just I mean we have people from Great Britain and people from Norway and you know people outside of Honduras but because we have that English-speaking community that we can connect to that was super helpful to be able to jump on Facebook and see what they posted on that page and go oh okay this is what's going on or oh that's the situation I'll just stay home as long as I stay out of it you know I'm okay and so being able to be more informed that definitely helped just to say like it's just me i can stay home i have the food i need you know i'm perfectly fine to stay in my house and you know not be around and they would post like this road is closed because they're protesting here or kind of be careful with this one they may let you through they may not Mm -hmm. so that that definitely helped to know i'll just stay away from that area of town and i can go this way or you know being able to have that information and so yeah at first not really knowing okay this is kind of new for me and I don't know what to expect but um, that was super helpful then to be able to it makes me think that you know God does not call you to do anything mm-hmm. without giving you the tools to do it right absolutely so no matter what it is that you think God is calling you to do if God is calling you to do something don't worry about the how mm-hmm. he's got you right and right. and that is definitely seems to be the case for you with I mean, everything, every step of the way, mm-hmm. which makes no sense. It just, it just from a human <laughs> standpoint, from a sitting down, putting it on paper standpoint, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. single white female moves to third world country on her own, no real financial support to go and tell these people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. You're going to get killed. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it has worked out wonderfully for you. Let's talk about the ministry. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of what you're doing and how it's working. You began by starting up the Refuge for Women type mm-hmm. organization, not a refuge for women, but right. a type of organization like that, helping women who were escaping sex trafficking, the sex industry, uh, prostitution, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing, right? right. That, that's how right. you began. Yeah. And and tell me about that. Tell me how you set that up. And we got about 15 minutes. So okay. let's roll through okay. that and then get into what you're doing now. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of intern with a ministry for about a year, just 
to learn the language more, get a more a better hold of the culture, and you know, and just to kind of see how that might how that setup might even look. And so there were two ladies that I kind of partnered with and kind of mentored under. Um, one was Honduran, and one had been in the country about twelve years at the time. Oh, wow! And so, and God had given her favor just to even even to work with with women who had been in an abusive marriage and had children that they needed to get out of that okay. out of that situation as well. Um, but they had kind of a back room in their house, more secure, um, that women could go and stay. And, and we would even go, one of them, her, her calling was to work on the inner healing. And so to really work on, you know, helping women, because that can, that can take years even sure. for women that have been in that situation. Um, but to be under able the best of circumstances, right, yeah. right, absolutely. And so to be able to work with them and kind of see how they did that, you know, but to even go to areas where maybe women aren't involved in that yet, but are in vulnerable situations or at risk for possibly going into the sex trafficking or because a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of times the women are in an abusive situation first and that's what kind of propels them to go into the sex trafficking because then he promises to take care of them and help them earn finances and then that gets them hooked mm-hmm. and then it's just that continuing is, of the cycle for how, how does the culture work with women uh are, are are women able to get jobs like independently of men are they able to um you know provide for them and their children in in an upstanding way or are they almost forced into the sex industry um it's definitely more of i wouldn't say dominated necessarily maybe a stronger word but it's definitely more of a male focused society Mm -hmm. and so for women i mean there are women you know you go to the bank and they're working at the bank or you know retail and so there are some of those jobs but it's not if they so it's not like some countries where women can't work and they're right. like literally relying on a man. Right, right. But for a lot of them, if they're younger, because of the type of culture that it is, the women get, because of the poverty, like they get mm-hmm. enamored with a man, they have a child, and then they become dependent on that man. Mm-hmm. Often if they're teenagers, they can't go back to school. So not only then do they have difficulty finding a job, but then they don't have the education to fall back on either. And so almost kind of we have a place for them to go, but then almost kind of looking at that preventative of let's talk to the teenagers and tell the girls, you know, this is the cycle can end with you and we can we can provide you those resources and, you know, teach you a trait. And I mean, a lot of them are fantastic cooks. And so teaching them how to make tortillas or, mm-hmm. you know, making some kind of craft basket weaving or you know you have an old t-shirt you could make a purse out of it and sell the purse and so kind of going even backtracking a little bit to teach them how they can be Mm self-sufficient so that they don't fall into that because it is it's typically easier you know and sometimes it's that way here too if you have a man and a woman up for a job depending on the boss sometimes the man is more likely to get the job just because he's a man it's it's 10 times more so mm-hmm. down in Honduras and so for them to get a really good job that can definitely be a difficult difficult situation for them to and then especially if they have kids to find somebody who can take care of the kids right so 
finding a job for them where they don't have to depend on a man is definitely a difficult situation for them to mm-hmm. to try and get into or so, get out of. So for you showing up on the scene, it, with you being able to walk into an organization, a small mm-hmm. organization, granted, right. but still, yeah. that's where you began building your community. That, right. That's where you really started to put roots down right. in, into that, that part of the country. Yeah. Um, yeah. So through that, you worked there how long? I was there about a year and a half. Okay, so, so a good while. Yeah, yeah. And we were able to go to just different communities. Some of them were an hour outside the city to go to little villages and to kind of begin to help where they had already formed relationships. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're so loving and, and caring and love people coming in to visit. You know, it was it was pretty easy to mm-hmm. to kind of assimilate into their culture and, and to form those relationships as well. And again, helping God make sense of things because you know He needs that. Uh, looking <laughs> right, back, right. you 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 had your Spanish background, you had you know your your family background in Honduras, you had mm-hmm. missions background a little bit, you had you know all of the stuff coming together. You had worked with Refuge for Women here, mm-hmm. so it all just makes sense. It's right. all just perfect. Everything fits into a nice little box. Life is going great. Right. So that changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so so there were two back-to-back hurricanes. Um, after even following the pandemic so once the pandemic hit then for most people ministry just kind of shut down a normal kind of just went away for everybody but Mm -hmm. um working with those different ministries up to that point and i thought you know like even working with teenagers and um maybe working with them to teach them a skill set and all of that and then you know we we go into lockdown and so that was when I kind of felt like, because I'd kind of taken a little bit of a sabbatical. And just as I'm coming out of the sabbatical and I think, you know, I'm refreshed, I'm refocused, I'm ready to jump into ministry again, and then everything shuts down. And so you're going, okay, God, but I'm ready to go again. And I feel like all of this has fallen into place. Mm -hmm. But then it's kind of that shift of, but now everybody's kind of in the same boat ministry-wise to people need food and people need water and and even some of them needing clothing and those resources and so seeing that complete 180 almost in ministry but but I thought this is what we were going to do and things things take a different focus that's like no that was a phase we're done with that phase we're on to the next phase now right right yeah like you've and that was where you you segued into I'm calling it logistics is logistics a Mm -hmm. good word I would say so yeah yeah. Um, so actually to really kind of go back to, you know, when I set up my nonprofit of, so Joanna Ministries is what my nonprofit is called. Joanna, we only hear about her twice in Luke, but she was a disciple of Christ. And because he had healed her of some affliction, we don't know what it was, but because she had the resources, she would go ahead of Christ and the disciples and help prepare the food or prepare, you know, if they were spending the night. And so because she was able to do that then that was not that he needed her you know we'll have to wait for joanna to be able to start this ministry right but he was able then to focus then on the people or focus on whatever the ministry was because all of that had already been set in place for him and so going back to that original way that i had set up my nonprofit, because i have the resources and because you know people just will send in checks or say we want to send this in I had a friend that um, 
he just messaged me and like they've been to Honduras several times and he said I want to send you a couple hundred dollars just so that you can give them to whatever ministry you want to give Mm-hmm. to be able to send out food bags. It was really fun mm-hmm. just to say, hey, what is your PayPal link so I can send you some money? And, you know, of course, they would send me the link and send $100 to you or $50 to you. And, you know, so it was... That's awesome. Even though, you know, it would be nice to be out with the people because, again, I'm that people person. But to know, too, you know, these ministries have all these supporters that they're pulling from, you know, I mean, God's still going to get that supply. Mm-hmm. but to also be able to to be that support as well. So even going back in a couple of weeks, now that we've had the two hurricanes on top of the COVID, on top of the job loss, mm-hmm. all of that with the economy, to be able to go in and, okay, you're helping them to clean up. I mean, there's still feet of mud mm-hmm. in houses and communities. And so, but to be able to say... The last hurricane was huge. It was. And it, 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 was. it pretty much hit point blank, did it yeah. not? It it dissipated much less. Nicaragua got the more of the brunt of it when it hit landfall, but it it thankfully because of prayers of people, it did sig- it significantly decreased mm-hmm. in strength. But still, because a week and a half before they'd had the other hurricane that mm-hmm. was, I think it hit as a two, a one or a two, and so it had dumped all of the water and flooding and flooding had just started to go down and then in comes the second one right on those heels Mm -hmm. and so for so many people you know mitch was 22 years ago for so many of the country so many of the population they were still trying to dig out and and rebuild from that and had kind of just gotten to that point where they had houses and they had furniture and resources and then they get hit with two more hurricanes right on top of that and so these people that have no resources, have no, you know, no finances, anything like that. What they had worked for those those last two decades are now gone again. Yeah. And so being able to assist those missionaries, and again, not saying, you know, I'm here to assist you, and you <laughs> tell me what you need, and poof, I'll give it to you. But, right. but to be able to say, you know, I've had people that have sent money to me, what do you need or can I just send that money to you and you can decide because you know the people in the communities mm-hmm. you can be able to decide do they need clothes do they need food or what is their most immediate need because you look at something like that and you think well they need to clean up but they also need to eat too but so if we give them food but then they also you know it's just right it can be overwhelming to think well there isn't really one specific basic need that they need right now mm-hmm you know because they were in crisis before right the disaster right so when you take a crisis and then you add a disaster on top of it the yeah. crisis still exists yeah yeah but then again so does the aftermath of the disaster yeah absolutely. and nobody knows how to handle that like the person on the ground the boots right. on the ground who are right there right right yeah so to be able to you know if people give me money to say okay what's your paypal i'm gonna send you a hundred dollars or i'm gonna send you fifty dollars or so that you can, yeah, be able to, because they built those relationships with the people. And mm-hmm. so at this point for a lot of them, whoever comes in to help, they're going to be grateful. But yeah, to be able to assist those people that are actually there with the people and they know them and, and know what they need. And so, yeah, to be that, that support for them. So for the next little However, while, do you see that as your mission? I uh, do. You're, you're going to be, uh, I'm in my mind, it's like a clearing house. 
yeah you're the the point of contact mm-hmm. and then you're taking resources goods distributing them to where you know they're needed right and then taking messages back of hey we really need money for food over here mm-hmm. or for cleaning supplies or right whatever over here right and that was kind of you know you hate to say well it's a blessing that the whole country didn't get hit and that the south was fine when the people in the north are struggling so much right but then at the same time that second one was projected i mean the big red swoop circle of the hurricane was over the entire country and so originally the whole country was supposed to get hit with a category five Mm -hmm. it went more northward but you know had the whole country been hit where would you even start with resources and you know it would just be mass chaos so having the capital and all those places in the south that didn't i mean there were some places in in the capital because they were near rivers some of those houses were flooded and they had some damage so there was some damage in the capital Mm -hmm. but not widespread like it was in the north of just wiping out entire communities Mm -hmm. and so that in that blessing that god didn't you know the didn't allow the hurricane to hit the entire country there are still those resources and there are Mm -hmm. still those missionaries that still have ministries that are up and running that they can be able to Mm -hmm. focus everything on on the north coast and helping them rebuild and so it for for some people that does seem kind of odd to say well it's a blessing that oh no i mean it's a blessing that only half the country was affected so yeah i I mean i totally see that yeah is it difficult to get stuff into the country or is it uh, easier just to get money in um if you're wanting to bring a lot of supplies, because there are, I mean, we have a Walmart and we have a Sam's type store, money typically would be easier just because then even once you're in country, if you just send it to somebody's PayPal or send it, you know, you can send it directly to a bank account, then they can just go immediately to the store and it's there the same day. Right. So they can just go immediately to the store and be able, because there are some things, you know, like pens and papers and Stuff that's just cheaper to buy than it is to ship with with everything that in customs and and all of that. Um, How do people learn more about you? We're we're out of time. It's it's flown by. Run into the end. It has. Uh, So Um, how do people get a hold of you? How do they learn? Do you have a a website? Do you have a Facebook page? I have a Facebook page. It's Joanna Ministries, Inc., Honduras. And Inc. is I-N-C, like incorporated. Mm-hmm. So that would be the best way to, to get in touch with me on Facebook. And then if you wanted to sign up for the mailing list, then we can, you just send me a message and we can, I can give you my email and, and we can go from there. Okay. Awesome. I'll get all that information. And then if anybody wants to financially support you, there's information to do that through there. Yes. And yes. if they want to send mm-hmm. gifts, that's not why you're here, but I just, sure. I wanted to draw attention to you and the awesome sure. work that you're doing. Um, but as you know, we're going to let that ring for a second. There. I should have muted that. Uh, I just wanted to draw attention to you and the awesome work that you're doing and well, uh, you. and and highlight that a little bit. But if there is anybody listening who wants to help out, uh, I know that would be much appreciated and clearly sure. could could be put to good use. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, Joanna Ministries Incorporated, Honduras, on Facebook. And then I can filter communication from there. Awesome. Well, Laura Baxter, thanks so much for coming in to be our guest today. Well, thanks for reminding me. This was fun.
Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Laura Baxter. The goal of this program is to show you how an ordinary person can really do extraordinary things. We tend to think of people who are accomplishing great works as great people. And while Laura is an awesome individual, she would be the first to tell you that she's just a person of average talents and abilities. She just followed the call in her life. And I just want to encourage you to do the same thing. You can find links to Laura Baxter and her ministry at my website, which is bensongregory.com. There you'll also find an archive of these podcasts as well as other information. Again, that website, bensongregory.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.